0: Head to the slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit the slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: You're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in Season 10.
0: Our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links.
1: In our Foreign Language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, And letters from Iwo Jima.
0: We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, Definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Remember, bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch?
1: Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian. Scarface Year of the Dragon 8 Million Ways to Die Talk Radio and Born on the 4th of July
0: Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book
1: You like Huey Lewis and the News? Oh my
0: god it even has a watermark
1: And of course more Stephen King with The Mist The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series
0: Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page That's NextReel.com slash originals every purchase
1: supports our show get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com originals
0: i'm pete Wright and i'm andy nelson welcome to the next reel when the movie ends our conversation begins underworld is over let us don our pvc formal wear itself had become more perilous.
1: The weapons had evolved. But our orders remained the same. Hunt them down and kill them off one by one. They are the immortal damned one family lusting for power and wealth the chain has never been broken not in 14 centuries another driven by revenge soon we'll defeat the vampires on their own ground you see this human he's
0: attacking. I can't be positive but i'm beginning to take the of are following him Hello, michael where they to you who are you people During the middle of a war that's been raging for the better part of a thousand years a blood feud between vampires and lichens werewolves andy i uh, never has an instagram plug been more well suited than today would you agree
1: I would say that is very true.
0: First of all, if you wanted to learn about PVC formal wear and any other PVC wear, you would go to Instagram. I guarantee it. That's where people go. As you do. Uh, But what we are, uh, but we actually happen to have a, a deep connection
1: to Instagram and this movie and pvc formal wear would you like to talk about getting people over there people can head over to instagram.com slash the next reel and they can see all of all of, get all of their pvc formal wear needs met well maybe not but they can learn about all sorts of movies that we talked about on our podcast <laughs> over on our instagram page what do you what do you have in your closet what do
0: you like to trot out from time to time when you want to feel special
1: generally it's just my pvc lingerie <laughs> It doesn't, it
0: drapes. It drapes
1: so nicely, (laughs) wouldn't you say, because of the weight? It's taut. (laughs) Rather taut.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, didn't need that. So let's do the show. Andy Underworld 2003 starts off the uh, kicks off the universe of Underworld with Kate Beckinsale, and it is a harrowing place and time where people can jump off buildings and also werewolves and vampires don't like each other very much.
1: Why did we why did we decide to do this for quite a long time? You know, the one of the reasons i suppose you could say is because of instagram because we've done instagram posts involving uh this film and this franchise before and weirdly people really like uh you know images from this franchise uh on instagram but really i think we're really here because we just enjoy this world of werewolves and vampires and the the gothic the soap opera that it is. I, um, I think that's largely why we're here. I would like
0: to know after watch, when's the last time you watched this movie before this week
1: that you watched this movie? It would have been uh, probably opening weekend in the movie theater. So, seriously. I have, yeah I've I've only have seen the first two and it was uh, when they opened in the movie theaters and I haven't seen them since.
0: And your memory of this them. movie yeah. is good enough that you wanted to come back and do a series of all five, including three you've never seen <laughs> that are late in the series.
1: I, I'm curious about them. Yes, you, you know, you should I'm, be. I'm very curious <laughs> about the rest of this world, and you know, it's like. It's like the Resident Evil films. You go into it going, you know what? These are fun movies. The rest, the, as it progresses, they may decline in quality, but that's not going to stop me from still finding enjoyment in them.
0: Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So would you, that would you agree that you still found enjoyment this time around?
1: Absolutely. Oh, I love this world. I think that what the filmmakers here created, uh, just it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of this, got, it, like I said, it's this kind of gothic, over the top, uh, soap opera involving vampires and werewolves that I really just have a wonderful time being in. I think that walking through it with Celine and all of the, the drama involving Michael this human, and then you've got Lucian on the side of the werewolves, and Victor on the side of the vampires, and then you have Craven, and and it's just, like I said, it's a soap opera. It's like, who's stabbing who in the back, and oh my, there's secrets that come out about what Victor actually did. And I just, I don't know, I, I really think it's a lot of fun. I have a great time just digging into this, and just being a part of um, Part of this world, well, just like Ariel said. I, I do too. They, they needed I, mermaids. That's what they that, needed
0: here too. Yeah, but the siren kind, <laughs> the kind, that the ones that were face, like that. Yeah, that.
1: Where was that horror? Like that Polish horror yeah. movie with those.
0: I think that those was Sirens. Mermaids. I think that was Sirens. Wasn't that Sirens? Yeah. That's the, those are the I ones I'm looking for. Let me down. tell you. That was, uh, th- I think that it's it's fascinating. And I, I did want to talk just briefly uh, about this whole thing with werewolves versus vampires, right? Because growing up, I did not have a sense that vampires and werewolves were, you know, arch enemies the way they exist in popular culture now. It turns out that's always been a thing. But I'm curious for you as a kid, when you first saw these movies like, oh, you know, Dracula versus Werewolf or, or Wolfman, you know, what what was your sense of understanding the relationship between vampires and werewolves?
1: Um, I don't think I ever had any sense of that. Like, I, I never saw Dracula meets the Wolfman. Like uh, my my. The depth of my um, uh, exploration of kind of those universal classic horrors is generally the first film, other than *Bride of Frankenstein*. Sure. I generally haven't gone to see *Son of the Wolfman*, *The Wolfman Returns*, *Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman*. Like I just haven't dug into all of those. Um, again, it's it's kind of like you know the the return on your investment tends to. Uh, diminish over time with those. So I've kind of missed a lot of those, but it doesn't mean I'm not curious, and I know that Universal had gone through and had done a bunch of these, you know, Dracula meets the Wolfman, Uh, I think they did the Wolfman versus Dracula, and and so I think that there were a bunch of these sorts of films that um, just allowed for monster battles, and Mm. I think that's what people have fun with. And so I and and you know the whole idea of the the versus sort of thing. I mean, you know, Predator Two kind of spawned that a little bit in the cinematic world when it showed the the skull of the alien and the predator's ship uh, right. trophy wall, and then we get the Alien versus Predator films, and then we have Freddy versus Jason, and so the idea of these um, battling mythical creatures. I just, I think it's been around and people just love the idea of pairing different creatures with each other just to kind of throw them at each other and see what happens. And so I think the idea of uh, the way that the trio of our uh, writers kind of developed the story, I I think that, I mean, clearly they're fans of the genres and uh, had a lot of fun kind of creating something unique with it by by playing with tropes within each of them i thought they did a, a good job and I, I think that the the way that they combine these two uh, worlds works really well
0: i think so too and it it's interesting to me because some of some of what I learned about ver- vampires and werewolves, I learned from Underworld, right? And and go back and read some of the the literature and background on this, and find that there's a, a fascinating tie. the The deal with vampires and werewolves before the end of the 19th century, it was the Greeks that actually believed that the corpses of werewolves, if not destroyed, uh, would return to life as as vampires in the form of wolves or hyenas, some other. Um, some other sort of dog uh, creature. Greeners. Yeah. And really? they would hmm. prowl the battlefields and uh, drink the blood of dying soldiers. Um, and you know, some say that the, the sort of culture of vampires and werewolves, like they, they both have uh, relationships with day and night cycles, right? Vampires can't do anything during the day. They're most powerful at night, but they're also completely lucid. And werewolves can do all they want during the day as humans. But they lose complete control at night in the moon, uh, you know, the, the full moon, et cetera. They lose control and identity. Um, the, the corpse vampire sort of werewolf thing, I think, is really fascinating. In Eastern Europe, there's a belief that that werewolves become vampires when they're killed and not disposed of properly, like they're almost vampires. And they just didn't quite get over the hump. And they end up being these crazy wolf creatures but it it wasn't until sort of these movies that they start adding the cinematic kind of uh a tie between these two species of monster. And and Underworld sets up that it was the werewolves that were, you know, slaves of vampires, the daylight keepers of vampires. And uh, I think that's a really interesting take on the mythology. I think that's really uh, fascinating. So, you know, what Underworld does is take a lot of like so many great monster movies is, is they take these great Sort of historical threads and mythological threads and time all together in a new um, kind of um, uh, take on um, the the shape, the gestalt of uh, vampires and werewolves. I really like it. And then Twilight, you know, just goes and levels up the the whole relationship between <laughs> werewolves and they I didn't even bring that in, one up yeah <laughs> yeah teen melodrama right and and so uh and and make it a romance and do the whole romeo and juliet thing very much the way you know sort of this this movie kind of um, steps on those tales a little bit um so it, it's interesting now that that it feels more at least in cinema it feels like werewolves and vampires are kind of inextricably tied and uh, that's uh relatively recent
1: I, I think that it's interesting when you have some fans of genre films like uh, the three people who worked on the story here, Len Wiseman, Kevin Grevio, and Danny McBride, who clearly have a passion for the genres and then kind of create this world that it just kind of has really kind of taken off, and it, there's quite a bit of it. I just I just think it's fun to see what people can do with these. I mean, I, there are times where I feel like I uh, I look at the original stories of Dracula, for example, or um, I guess I've never read any uh, Wolfman sorts of stories, but like the original Dracula. I there are times where I just really prefer kind of the the classic way that um that, that original story was told. I really like that. But um uh, but I also just love watching people play with them. I just think it's just they're they just allow for a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, truly. And this is a, this is definitely a movie of passion. Uh you know, people who made this movie really love investing in this world clearly. Uh and so let's talk about the movie. Uh, what'd you think? I it, did. Did you love some some opening low hanging fruit subway violence?
1: Well, I mean, it's just it, the movie kicks off, and you instantly have this gothic feel, and you have these these camera angles in this dark world, and then you have this moment where as Celine and this other vampire are kind of watch their. On the watch for something they 're looking at you know, we don 't know yet what they 're watching, but they we realize they 're watching for these werewolves and that they 're tracking, and then you have the two of them leap off the it just' it's like some cathedral that they happen to be in, something like that, and that kicks us off with just straight up coolness so yeah, cool. because the way the way so that Celine cool. lands it's like she just she lands like she jumped off of you know a uh you know a, a three foot yeah thing yeah just a bench she just kind of lands with complete grace um there's no sense of of all of that momentum that she had or anything it's just completely cool just the way she's she She lands and then just instantly is walking. Why is that so great? Like The
0: physicality of that move is why is that weird? I mean, it's just uh, it's about three seconds and it totally sticks with me. Like for 20 (laughs) years, I remember that jump. That jump is amazing for both of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, there. Those are the sorts of things that I think Len Wiseman, who up to this point had been—I mean, he started working in the art department in films back in the '90s, uh, like big films like um, I can't remember now, um, Godzilla, Lucky Guy, Independence Day, Stargate. Uh, so he had been working as a prop guy or doing some storyboards um, with with before the and then worked in the art department on those films and. Um, So I think that coming from that world, and then he went into like music videos and that whole side of things and commercials. And so he has that's you get a real visual sense in those worlds. And I think that he just, you know, instantly was able to understand that, you know, playing with the visuals and creating those iconic moments, those were going to be key elements to Parts of his world here because it's not just that moment. I mean, we have a lot of moments consistently throughout the film where you have these kind of just things that Celine does. It's generally Celine, but sometimes it's some other people. Uh, and it's just like, oh, that is just a moment. That was a movie moment. It becomes a trailer moment. And then it's just a moment that you just don't forget.
0: Yeah, uh, 100%. And uh, this is, uh, I think he has a real eye for certain visual, uh, physical sort of treats like that. I think another one later in the movie, which I, I know we'll get back to, is werewolves uh, running on walls, opposite walls at the same time. Very cool physical effect. It looks great. Um, it's it's threatening. It's just wonderful. Uh, those things, I think he's, I mean, this is, a guy who does that will absolutely drive a car into a helicopter
1: later. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I did question like that was one thing that I did question. I'm like, wait a minute. So are the werewolves running on the walls in the ceiling? Or are they just like so like physically like able that if they need to, they can run on the walls in the ceiling by gripping them just really hard? Oh, it's gripping hard. Is that okay? That's yeah. you're you're one hundred percent convinced of that. because I, I was like I'm not a, I'm not one hundred percent sure. You think there was some sort of like works, magic okay. that
0: they're at work? Well, I just, gravity. I don't know
1: because all of a sudden they're all just like on all the walls. It's like aliens skittering across things. That's exactly what I imagined. Like they're just yeah. they just hold
0: on to like you know pipes in the drywall and stuff,
1: pipes yeah, and frames, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did it well. Yeah.
0: Which which actually leads us to other uh uh architectural defying um, architecturally defying feats. Uh you know, and and early on we get the the, the big escape where where Celine shoots the hole uh, around her in the floor and falls to the floor below. Uh, which mm, also brings yes. us another great landing from a height on behalf of of Celine uh and a great effect that as it turns out is also as possible as werewolves running on the walls and
1: ceiling in real life. This was proven where?
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. Well, we brought this up on the sat mat a long time ago, and Steve uh, actually pointed us to the Mythbusters episode where they built a rig to test this move, where you're standing on the floor and you have two handguns And you even big, big handguns like Celine has, and you have to, you spin around in a circle and you shoot the floor, thus perforating the floor around you. And then the floor in a big circle falls to the floor below. And they, they did this and it took, um, so many bullets, uh, as to be. (laughs) Actually ineffective to do it. And they were shooting it with all kinds of different guns and they just could not make it work. They could not make it work. And they definitely couldn't make it work uh, with the um, the finesse, the grace that Celine does it in this movie. It is a great Hollywood effect that has been tested. False. Screw
1: them. (laughs) (laughs) It just looks cool. It looks so good. It looks cool. And, you know, you hit that point in movies like this. You have werewolves, you have vampires, people are leaping off of cathedral tops and landing perfectly fine. I just don't care. I I hit a point with this where I'm just like, you know, I'm here because it's cool. What they're doing is cool. It doesn't make sense. But in context of the world that I'm watching in this movie, the world building works because everything that is being displayed makes sense in this space. What I like to believe zero problem with that.
0: I like to believe that vampires and werewolves can actually, on demand, change their mass. And so when they need to jump off of cathedrals, they're very light and hit the ground very light. But when they need to shoot holes through floors, they can be very heavy and assist. Well
1: they can turn into bats. You heard it here. Although we never see that in this in this franchise. But presumably, maybe that's what it means. Like, they yeah. fly, they're as light as a bat. They're as light right? as a
0: bat. Or heavy as a thing as that would
1: a... fall through a floor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so there's the vampire's werewolves bit. And I think they look good. Can we talk about the wolf change? Because so much, I mean, the vampires, they, they have their teeth and they struggle a lot. And there is a great, there's a, in terms of physical effects, there are some some great pieces of like the, silver nitrate going into the the blood vessels so we get you know we get some really fun skin effects i think the the standout effect is going to be the one where we get the werewolf change and and we watch them um we watch their faces and bones grow and change and shift. And, and they do some really cool uh, effects going inside the body and watching the rib cage expand and the heart change. And, and uh, they do this on both sides, I guess, vampires and werewolves. And on the vampire side, there's like cobwebs in there and uh, looks very scary. <laughs> uh, what do you think of all these change effects well. that they lean on so heavily in this movie?
1: I think, and the vampire, I, I don't think that's completely accurate because the one time that, or when we do go in, it's generally when they're reanimating the kind of the the thousand year old slumber of right. like Victor or somebody So, so of obviously, course there yes, are cobwebs so yes, inside their car. Of heart. course, there are cobwebs. Exactly. Where else would <laughs> right. spiders? You brought go, me around. What else do they do you in did. those space? Yeah. <laughs> But it's not like we go inside Celine to see her transform, and she has cobwebs because she's a vampire. No, right? nothing she's, like that. No. I'm just clarifying the point here. Right, right. I I really like those effects, and yes, the, now the CG is a little dated as far as being able to tell. But did but it take you out of the movie? Moved, it didn't, and they moved through it quickly enough. Where I'm like, I'm just buying into all of this yeah. stuff that's happening. I just think it works effectively. It's quick. They move and it just it allows for a lot of fun to happen through all of those transformations. And, yeah, it's generally the werewolves. And I really am. I mean, I'm a fan of werewolf transformations that are are physical, like watching American Werewolf in London or. Very much what this felt like. I mean, you could tell
0: this was an homage.
1: Yes, absolutely. But watching those physical effects, the way that they actually do that—I mean, it's—it there's something to them that makes them work so incredibly, incredibly well. Watching this though, like I, I felt like there was this real rapidity to it that just worked really well for me, and it allowed for as they're like even coming out of it, like after the the what basically felt like a bum fight uh, in the or a Fight Club sort of thing going on in the subway, uh, it you you see them. They're almost like qu- close to being completely transformed, but not quite. And you can still kind of see some of it lingering. And I liked the way that they allowed for that. I just thought that it, that's one of the benefits of CG is you can kind of have those sorts of things linger and just kind of play around with it as needed. So well, this I, is, I thought that
0: they were effective. Uh, this this is an interesting movie in in regard to the series we just finished, um, the killer, aquatic, yeah, killers. aquatic Killers. Yeah, Aquatic Killers. Because we got we got ourselves um, a selection of movies that were at that crossroads of, you know, CG and mechanical and, uh, you know, visual effects, practical effects. Uh, thinking specifically of Anaconda, where we both had trouble with the the collision of brand new CG technology and uh, old uh, uh, effects, uh, practical effects running into each other. And it didn't always look great. I think is is fair. Yes. Gentle, delicate, but fair. Uh, (laughs) I think we're at a point here, 2003, where we know with the benefit of hindsight that, yeah, obviously the effects are going to get better. But this movie never once did the effects take me out of the experience of enjoying the movie, not like Anaconda. Like we went over we got over that hump of completely unbelievable effects, visual effects, CG visual effects to storytelling, immersive storytelling. Effects used extensively, and it was right in this period, right here. And I think Underworld hits the the bullseye on that. I mean, I just um, great effects. They work for me almost every time. Like I, I actually I can't think of a time. I say almost every time. That is absolutely disingenuous. I can't think of a time when the effects just didn't work for me, or or took me out of the story at all. I think it was just, um, it was really solid.
1: Yeah, I, I I suppose the only time it, it might have a little bit for me was, um oh, I don't know. It was around the point where the, I think it might have been less the werewolves and more Victor when she's trying to wake him up and we're getting that cobwebby inside. Um, that might have been a point where I, I was like, well, eh, a, it's a little more fake here. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, but in the end, I think that you're largely right. I think watching this ends up just providing a lot more enjoyment. And uh, it could just be the pacing. It could be that it's coming from Len Wiseman, who was straight from the world of music videos mm-hmm. and definitely has that sort of the pacing and storytelling style with his work. So I suppose that could be part of it.
0: We have two different versions of this movie. Right. Um, and I think we each watched... A different version of the movie.
1: Uh, yes, we did. Um, I watched the original theatrical cut, and you watched the quote unrated cut. Which, from reading about it, doesn't sound like it's that unrated. It just sounds more like it's an extended cut. I just I think that it's definitely a um, a marketing tool that they use to say unrated sounds like it's got a lot more a lot more naughty bits in it. Hey.
0: I get, yeah. I, this was not a not a naughty bits experience. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for that, this isn't the movie to look for. It just felt well, not just naughty just bits, longer. but you know,
1: more blood, all that sort of stuff. Like anything that gets cut, because I mean, if it says unrated, generally it means hey, this this we had to really cut out some gore and all that sort of stuff, and it was just too much. But really, it really wasn't that much from what I've read.
0: Well, it, it wasn't that much. And I think in this case, unrated literally means they never got this cut rated. Like they just didn't do the the practical process. Somebody didn't check a box and they decided to release it. Um, you know, we get much more uh, just alternative footage, alternative takes. We get Celine studying more books. You know, we get um, we get a, a slightly longer um, um like historical vantage. I think we get a little bit more context in the the original battle between, you know, Craven and and Lucian and um you know what they used to you know how they used to live together. Um yeah. We we got
1: um you know we get some There's more more Erica and Craven, like there's more of a an actual relationship between Erica and Craven. Yeah, one sort of thing I understood. Yeah,
0: they do, and and I think do they in the original cut? Is there the the um the scene where she, you know, they start making out and he starts biting her? Nope. Yeah, so there's that scene, and uh, it's not a particular. It's a weirdly like non erotic sequence, um, that is interrupted. You know many. Yeah. Uh, you know in in uh, key <laughs> say key moments um <laughs> but it's uh it, it doesn't really add to i i can see why it was cut like i just don't i don't think this unrated cut is a is a beneficial cut um you know to say that this is a something to celebrate it's just an alternative view with some extra stuff in it
1: yeah, that was largely my understanding is. Uh from what I found online that it says that there were um 42 differences. Uh, most of those were additional scenes. Yeah. They were rather small, like 26 additional scenes, just like little tiny things yeah. of, of bits and pieces here and there. Um three scenes were extended in the theatrical version. There were five scenes with alternative footage and then eight extended scenes. So yeah. um yeah.
0: Yeah, it's um it, it's fine. It's fine. But what we're really showing up for, I mean, there are the two romances in here, right, with Erica and Craven. And she is, you know, largely, I think, manipulative. And, uh, you know, we get that at the very end where she, you know, throws the keys to Celine and says, why are you helping me? Well, I'm not. I'm helping myself. Well, that's uh, okay. That's good. She's not a um, she's not a a sort of critical character in the movie. You know, she's like a a manipulator. uh, But. um you know what we're really here for is the story between um uh celine and and michael and uh how well do you think they they handle that in the the scope of this sort of romeo and juliet story
1: well i mean i i mean i agree with what you're saying but before i answer that i just want to make sure that we're not downplaying the fact that you know some of these characters like there will be some I'm curious to see how all of this uh, plays as we get into the the next four films like we have we have four more films to go so I'm like is there going to be more of Erica is there going to be more of this power play between her and and uh, and uh, Craven like you know is Craven even going to be around I like what's what's going to really be going on well it is interesting because this is not like
0: you know uh, Piranha 2 where nobody comes back from Piranha, oh, right? Or exactly. nobody comes right, back yeah. for
1: Lake Placid versus Anaconda, you know? Uh, yeah, we have a lot of people to, uh, returning over right. the course of this this franchise. I mean, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, there's also an animated like a series of animated bits, and and a lot of these people, even their characters, I should say, um, come across those. So as we go, we will. Um, be looking and seeing who kind of continues on. Uh, you know, I should I should doesn't. say there
0: is one special effects scene that I think is very very cool in the extended uh, cut that I it surprises me that they cut and that's um, oh. uh, Victor's awakening and he wakes up like and and I wonder if this is uh, let's see when did the Matrix come out um, the, ninety nine the, I mean this was like a direct pull from the Matrix like he gets up and he has all the tubes attached to him. And so the whole okay. scene is him he has all these tubes and he he's he's disconnecting from the and I couldn't help but think of the matrix and waking up in the jelly the jelly donut oh, bath cool. um and <laughs> that's his that's his whole his whole scene there's a, it's a it's a great sequence and it's it's a great introduction to Victor the old I mean his makeup was great you know that yeah. in the the just like when he could just start moving again and he was all what they did to Bill Nye is extraordinary, and um, and so it was really fun. And it, I think it's a miss not having that particular sequence in the movie to see what they did to him.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it is one of those those bits, but. Um... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's one of those where I, as I watched it, I'm like, do I feel like I'm missing? Cause it's like 12 minutes. I mean, it's, it's a decent amount of footage. I'm like, was I feeling like I really missed any parts and I don't really feel like I was, but I guess what will be curious for me is as we continue this franchise, hearing from you, if you feel like there were some particular moments that, that happened, um, that you like, you know, I like having this scene here because it was a nice play on everything going on um, between Craven and Erica yeah. or something like yeah. that, you know, so. Um, so anyway, but as far going back to your original question, though, I, I like I mean, I think Celine's great. I, and I find her fascination with Michael to be pretty interesting and kind of this draw that she has to him and. Uh, like right out of the gate when she sees him in the subway and and is kind of drawn to him. and She doesn't know why and why are the Well, also, she's curious because she sees the werewolf, the were the lichens, I should say, following him. And so is very curious as to why they are doing so. I I find them really interesting. And Michael, Scott Speedman, especially the way that he plays it, like he works well as the newbie entering this world, like, what the heck is going on with this? all this craziness that uh, that's getting thrust upon him, right? Where he's just suddenly thrust into the—I mean, directly into the middle of this war that's waging between uh, vampires and lichens. And as it turns out, it's because of his bloodline. And I find that to be really interesting, and the way that that plays out. And I think he actually— handles it well the way that he kind of goes along with that and and um connects with Celine and finds that that person to kind of have that moment with and just kind of um connect to so i, I just thought i thought it worked really well so
0: i did too i really like scott speedman and uh, as it happens i mean he's he's a busy guy he's he's working a lot but um i as it happens don't cross paths with him. The stuff that I watch after this, uh, and, you know, I watch the triple X movies. Um, and, and so, but then it, I just, uh, I don't, I don't watch the stuff that he's in <laughs> anymore. And, and so he's been in a whole bunch of stuff. I missed the strangers. I missed, uh, you know, good neighbors, citizen gangster, uh, last resort, the, the show, um, Uh, October guy is just nothing he was uh, and he did a guest spot on Grey's Anatomy in 2018 I stopped watching Grey's Anatomy before that 25 episodes on Animal Kingdom didn't watch that show oh wow Um, really yeah Uh, and he's got 10 episodes he's in the the show you coming up in 2021 Um, like he's a busy busy guy it's not like he just disappeared like some other actors Um, and so you know it's it's very strange because I feel like like I he's a guy who should be in stuff that I like based on
1: this movie. I have seen very few things with him. I, my life without me may be one of the few things that I really remember him from. From and I thought he was fantastic in that. That was a a kind of an indie um, drama that he did in in the same year actually mm-hmm. as this um other than that and and this follow up to this like i missed the strangers and that's one that seems right up my totally. alley i don't know how i missed it but uh yeah i just um I, I like watching him i think he's kind of an interesting actor to to kind of see but right. i just i am, have seen very little of his
0: yeah so i i feel like he was he was great in this movie as that guy and
1: we'll we'll see him again this is the sort of um, nonsense, I guess you could say, that sometimes you end up finding on, on uh, IMDb. It, under the trivia section, it says, Good friend of Kate Beckinsale and Len Wiseman often attends barbecues at their Los Angeles house. So there you go. <laughs> well, I'm, actually, I'm, it's and then good to it says, friends. As Miss Beckinsale stated during an interview on The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, she said, After making Underworld, we adopted him as a sort of pseudo family pet. We stroke him and feed him, and it's good for him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Scott! So
0: (laughs) he does kind of look that way, don't you think? Like he does. (laughs) <laughs> he does kind of look well, like he, he could, he could use to be pet and brushed and groomed occasionally. When he's the
1: blend of yeah. the lichen and the vampire at the end of this film, I imagine yes. him
0: lying down in front of their fireplace. Somebody will sit down, crisscross he's applesauce like with a brush and just ashes, brushes his yeah. hair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: okay, well that's got to, you know we haven't then talked about Celine. Kate Beckinsale.
1: Ah, dear Kate, yes. Dear Kate. What an interesting kind of turn for her career at this point. Uh, She first appeared, and where I first saw her was Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. That was her first film appearance. Right. And then she went on to appear in a number of smaller types of films, a lot of different indie films, and uh, a lot of just the films that I look at, I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting kind of start to her career. Nothing seems like she's going to go down this road. I mean, she's working on things like The Last Day of, Days of Disco with Wit Stillman, who she returns to later, and some other kind of indie films, uh, Broke Down Palace. She appear, appeared in Pearl Harbor, then she went big in Hollywood, Pearl Harbor and serendipity in 2001 and laurel canyon uh, in 2002 another indie film and then there's this in 2003 it's like well there's a big change for her um career trajectory and Stephen summers who was doing van helsing the very next year wanted to cast her but was afraid she wouldn't be interested because she was in this but she saw the script and was like oh totally sign me up and so it seemed like she really enjoyed the shift yeah. and the change from those other types of films and and as her career has moved forward certainly she's done quite a number of underworld films we're going to be talking about them but she's also uh done a lot of other types of films and and has always kind of i suppose really done well at dancing across those lines of effects heavy films and kind of just the smaller indie films or just kind of um non-genre hollywood films
0: I, I there there are a number of articles that, um, you know, pop up when you search for Kate Beckinsale and they're all like, why doesn't Kate Beckinsale work anymore? And it, what they're <laughs> really saying is, why isn't Kate Beckinsale in any more underworld movies? Because she's working a lot like she's busy, a busy, busy actor and she just is not in the movies that you like. She's like, you're Scott Speedman people who think that she's your scott speedman
1: that's i i do find that telling you see that sort of thing pop up quite a bit in on these you know bait uh, clickbait articles yeah. uh, why is so and so not working anymore it's like well they really are working it's just they're they've shifted their career path and now they're doing a lot of independent films a lot of smaller projects a lot of more uh, interesting tv video yeah. game
0: voiceover work she's queen arian of uh, the elder scrolls online
1: yeah. So, so, you know, yeah, I, I really enjoy her career. I thought she was fantastic in love and friendship. What not total recall. how did How'd you uh, feel about
0: her in total recall?
1: I didn't care for that film that much. I, um, and I don't think it's just because I have kind of a special place in my heart for the original one, which I certainly do. I just felt like they took it in some odd directions. And it just, I, I don't know. I just didn't find that it really worked as well for me as the original version did.
0: Yeah. I, I think so too. I had trouble. I had a little bit of trouble with it. She was great.
1: I thought she was fine. Honestly, I don't remember much of her, but I know she was kind of like the evil wife, right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. she was.
1: I mean, come come on.
0: Kate Beckinsale and Jessica Biel. Uh, uh, You know, and Colin Farrell. Hunky Colin Farrell. (laughs) Yep. How bad does a movie have to be not to have an okay time? (laughs) Hey, it's still at a 6.3
1: on the IMDb scale, so. Yeesh.
0: All right. Well, whatever you're going to do. So, we like uh Kate Beckinsale. I think she's fantastic um in in this part. I think you're right. She has a real natural sensibility at dancing across the the uh across the the rails, so to speak, and and not getting burned. I mean, she's just um uh she's a, a terrific uh chameleon and um and she's great. Obviously, she became uh, an action figure figure level iconic in this movie. Uh, Thanks to, you know, production design and costume design, character design. And um, I think they uh, I mean, they just did so much great work to uh, give her something that she could really inhabit in terms of a fantastical creature. And uh, and I think she was I, I think she just nailed it.
1: Well, and obviously Len Wiseman. Uh, clicked with her. I mean, they would go on to shortly after get married after this. And I I think that he knew how to shoot her in a way that worked really well for the concept of the film. and Because it had to have that same level of coolness all the way through. And she carried it to an extreme. And it just, like, the visual coolness uh, all the way through. It's just, I mean, even down to her final swooping move that she does when she um, attacks... um, Victor at the end. It was just it was
0: Well, that's the yeah, the the victorious angel pose, right? I mean, that's uh that's like winged victory uh where she has one knee up and her arms out and the sword is out and she's it's uh it's an iconic pose. Um Yeah. And and yeah. not to mention the incredibly solid effect uh as Victor's head is bisected. <laughs> Uh, Straight out of Q. Yeah, right. It's it's terrific. It looks great, and I love that they give him a beat longer to kind of uh, show his rage before things fall apart.
1: Before realizing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Bill Nye. I mean, he's another actor that it's just like it's so strange to see him pop up in things like this, but he does it well. And Michael Sheen, same thing. Like, you know, and this was, I think, the the film where because she had been with Michael Sheen up to this point, and then. Uh, you know, changed teams, as it were, and hooked up with Len a mm-hmm. uh, little bit after this. And uh, so it's just one of those weird things. But, I mean, they'd go on to kind of continue working together in the franchise for uh, for a bit. So, I, you know, I don't know. I I just feel like they really cast it well. All of the faces work well. I just have to say Ray's, played by uh, co-story writer Kevin Greview, possibly has the deepest voice I've ever heard. Yeah, man, he can just, turn, just turn it <laughs> on he is great i'm like oh, that's like i need to really kind of uh you know boost my um my my base and, yeah. and just really let that rumble the house every time he speaks yeah you do i
0: i, I think speaking of great uh, characters here's one we don't see very long but actually for me wins the title of uh having a a better name in real life than the character name in a movie full of interesting character names the part of amelia is played by zita gorog which sounds like a made up name for this movie and i am here for it <laughs> i think it's great
1: yes yeah she dies Fast. very Sad, fast, unfortunately. But it's interesting because it's they do that high, state. like,
0: security cam angle on her and her team in the train, and that yeah. like that still frame is everywhere. Like, she gets, like, pride of placement uh, because it. she just she looks cool, the team looks cool, the production design looks great in the train, and the camera is perfect on her.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. And she, I mean, Bill Nye and her, so we've seen two of the three I can't remember what they call them, but the the big leaders, yes. right? Yeah, the ancients, um, the ancients, yeah. and I think both of them carry that that title well. Like she's got this just classical kind of beauty about her in this in that moment. I right. think she works really well, and and Bill Nye, of course, is Bill Nye. So so I'm curious. I, I can't remember what the other one's name is. Marius, but, uh,
0: Marius, Marcus. Marcus, Marcus, Marcus so he was yeah. the
1: one who was supposed the other of the line,
0: right? So he was the one who was supposed to wake up. Victor was supposed to stay down, and Amelia was coming yes. to sink, right? Because yes. she's the one who was yes. on duty for this last hundred years, and they were going to swap. That's important right. to know because yeah, that every, mechanic every is years. Yeah, that mechanic is a little bit shaky in terms of you know it get it can get lost in the in the story.
1: Well, and it's, I mean, that's just all a part of this kind of soap opera element of it, right? Because, I mean, and and trying to keep track of all these different elements. And I want to make sure, as we watch this whole franchise, that I'm keeping in mind, okay, who's on whose sides? Because we have Craven as a terrible kind of leader of the vampires, while uh, Amelia, well, he's, yeah, and it turns out he's a traitor. But uh, while Amelia's in another part of the world, he's kind of heading up this little pack here. And um, we find out that he's actually a traitor. And so Celine. Raises um, uh, Victor from his crypt a hundred years before she's supposed to, and then we find out that Victor's really not that great of a guy, and that he had actually uh, done some horrible things in in his past. And that one, he's really the reason behind this war with the Lycans in the first place, and two, that he actually killed Celine's family and is you know, and then posed as this great guy who saved her, and so. It's it's so soap operatic, uh, but I I don't I just really enjoy the way that the whole thing plays. It's this very enjoyable kind of vibe that they create for us. Yeah,
0: it's a it is a great vampire telenovela.
1: <laughs> you almost never want it to end. It Totally is. <laughs> no right i know yeah. it is it it does remind me when i was down in brazil there was actually a, a telenovela although i don't know what they i can't remember what they called it but it was called vamp yeah and it was it was a soap opera with vampires and it totally like it, it totally works yeah. and, and that's because there's something about kind of the gothic nature of that storytelling that just falls in line really well with uh kind of everything going on in in the way that this uh, these worlds kind of play. So it just, yeah, it works well. And this cast eats it up. Yeah. I think they do a every, great job with
0: it. Every bite. Um, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about getting it made?
1: Well, I, I just, I mean, we talked about the three um, co-story writers. Um, Len... And let me just say, to clarify, it's not the Danny McBride you're thinking of. It's not the Danny McBride we're thinking of. It's a different Danny McBride. Yeah. Len and this Danny McBride... Uh, met through their agent. They hit it off because they were both big lovers of genre films. And Len, he came to the attention of Skip Williamson, who is the president of Lakeshore Records, and because he had worked on the uh, music video for Rufus Wainwright. And Williamson thought he was so good. And so he pushed for Lakeshore uh, to look at at Underworld. And so they did. And that's kind of how how this whole thing came to be. And actually, uh, Len Wiseman, because he had this art background, he said that uh, when he was pitching the script, he did 12 detailed production drawings, which the producers later said made them feel more comfortable about going with a first-time director. So there's something to be said about having that kind of that skill, that the, that mad set of skills in your pocket. Mad, Mad skills? <laughs> that's right. hey i can't i can't sketch fantastic production drawings
0: (laughs) okay i'd like to see you try Uh, no no i can't i can't i just don't my skills as you say are not mad
1: they're not okay
0: all right let's talk a little bit about tony pierce roberts behind the camera
1: I, I mean, obviously, this is a world-building film. Mm. Len Wiseman and his his writing team, I mean, Len Wiseman, actually, he had to come to this with a full vision in mind. And then coming to a cinematographer like Tony Pierce Roberts, uh, you're going to have these conversations right out of the gate. How do we need to light it? How do we need this place to look? Because he's going to have to really work to kind of do that from beginning to end. And I mean... I think there's just so much darkness throughout. And obviously, you watch this. This is a film that had some serious color treatments added to it afterward. Um, but I think that it just makes for a beautiful, dark, kind of this gothic other world that I think, uh, I mean, it's it's right there in the title. It's this underworld that we kind of get to watch the whole time. I, just, I find it incredibly um, well-crafted in the cinematography. I
0: also find that Tony's skills are mad. (laughs) mad. He was a Merchant Ivory guy for a long time, and he's actually behind some of my very favorite, uh, I would say my favorite Merchant Ivory film, which was um, uh, A Room with a View, which was fantastic oh it makes my heart sing that movie andy do you remember room of the v-? i don't know why
1: we haven't done a merchant ivory series we have not That's done a Merchant Ivory series. About, yeah. we
0: absolutely yeah. do that because that would allow us to talk about a very young helena Bonham carter uh a mm-hmm. spry denim elliott and maggie smith uh and uh, of course julian sands as george emerson goofy julian yep. sands i love that movie <laughs> i love it
1: I think that's what they said.
0: Hit. Let's get him. He's goofy. He's goofy. And that Denholm Elliott is still spry. Let's get him before he's not spry anymore.
1: For me, it's all Simon Callow. Mr. Beeb. Hello, Mr. Beeb. It's all, yep. Yep. It's all Simon, Simon Callow. He's great. Yeah. You know, yeah. Daniel so, so Day-Lewis. <laughs> don't forget Danny Day. Danny Danny on the oh, yeah. DL. Well, I just, at this point, I just assume he's kind of in everything. <laughs>
0: he's actually in Underworld.
1: <laughs> he, he, plays, right. he plays a gargoyle. He's
0: very in character. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, so Tony Pierce Roberts. I mean, he worked on a lot of those, and um, but I mean, he worked on a lot of other things too. He played, you know, all over the place in his, the types of films he did. Early on, he did a Stephen King adaptation, The Dark Half, and he did some things like The Client and Disclosure. Everyone's yeah, favorite, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Andy, the, the guy is incredibly
0: cabinets. versatile. Yep. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang yep. to be able to do that, and his most recent f- production, it's. Like the circle is now complete. The, uh, the young adult,
1: uh, vampire Academy. Yes. Have you seen it? Why we haven't done a series. <laughs> we just need to do a, a, a teen vampire, teen vampire movie. Movies. I guess yeah, we yes. could totally do that. Get Buffy in there. I see. We could finally get, Buffy. I would love to get Buffy in there. Buffy in the vampire Academy. Yeah, That's it. That's two <laughs> There's of them. gotta be others. And,
0: and you know what? Uh, Heather's cause they were social vampires. Oh, oh, okay. I see. You see? Go we're go gonna do way. we're gonna actually take to vampires a metaphor for something and make them a metaphor for something else.
1: <laughs> That's that feels meta. That's
0: why you tune into this show. It really uh, is. And don't forget Dinotopia. Oh, he did Dinotopia too. Oh, he's kind an of incredible. and Doom, versatile filmmaker, this Tony. Doom. <laughs> Doom. <laughs> you haven't made it until uh, you've done a rock feature, and I think he's the guy who coined the term. Was The Was the Rock in Doom? Gosh, I totally forgot that. Doom, we should find a way to get Doom on there. It's got our favorite things. Rosamund Pike went on to do great things from there. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Carl Urban, Andy. Carl Urban. And it could be... Wow. We could do a series from Doom to Dread. What? <sighs>
1: wow. Why aren't you more Dexter excited Flanger about Fletcher was in it. Wow. you know, I don't know. I feel like actually I saw... <laughs> like a scene of this or something like it was on, I was in a hotel and it was on and I watched like a scene and I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't really need to see any more. I feel like that's where I am with this one.
0: <laughs> I-
1: but sure. If you want to build a video game adaptation series or a Carl urban series or whatever, you go right ahead. Production design, uh, Bruton Bruton. Bruton Jones? Mm. Breton. I'm not yeah. actually hearing, how do you say
0: that name? Uh, a lot, uh, production design carries a lot of, of weight on this uh, movie, clearly.
1: And costume yeah. design, Wendy Partridge. I just feel like this movie, you know, paired with the cinematography and obviously it affects work. I mean, it's uh, the well-designed film and they all do, they bring a lot to the table.
0: Uh, now, I know, oh, we haven't talked about Paul Haslinger in forever.
1: Behind the music, no, we haven't, yeah, yeah, i you know, I think it works. I honestly can't remember it that well, but I thought that it worked in context of the film. That's one there I'd love to uh go back and listen to some like kind of put all five of them together and just listen to it and see how it all feels. It's
0: very threatening. Mm. Well,
1: I guess that would make sense. Then, I'm,
0: I'm telling you, this guy has done some amazing work. And if you look at this as sort of the beginning of his, uh, of, uh, it's, it's not actually fair to call it the beginning. He'd been doing some work before then, um, before Underworld. But I think it really defined... Uh, a, um, a a style for him that he really came into much uh, later. Um, I was a big fan. One of my very favorite uh, scores, and I think it was uh, The Girl Next Door. And that was one of those movies that had a great score and a great soundtrack. He also uh, came back and did Crank, which uh, I think has another fascinating score. Um, but then he got into TV and did Sleeper Cell in 2005, 2006, which was fantastic. Not only a fantastic score, but uh, complimented an amazing show. Um, and with all of the all of this stuff from, um, you know, he did a lot of video games, then he came back to um, Fear the Walking Dead, Halt and Catch Fire, uh, Fear the Walking Dead, uh, miniseries, Passage, and uh, Wisdom of the Crowds, and back to back to back to back, uh, great, great, great televised scores. Uh, it's just uh they they all they're like right up there with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for me.
1: Um hmm, I don't think I've heard any of those. I've not seen those shows. And so I my my uh I enjoy some of his scores. I enjoy some of the like film scores that he's done, but just like all that other stuff I'm very uh, blank on. I never saw The Girl Next Door. I think Shoot 'em Up might be the one that uh really stands out for me as something that I have definitely seen and then other than that i'm looking through his stuff and i'm like oh have i seen much of his maybe not uh let's talk about sequels and remakes yeah well i don't know if we need to since this series is really <laughs> all about the sequels of this franchise um That's and we'll fair. talk about you know where it's going as it gets to the end but um you know, it definitely is one that is designed like you build a world like this and people want to yeah. kind of dip back into it. I don't think I haven't seen anything where it said they they wrote. It's not like the Matrix where they wrote this with potential for more stories. I, You know, no, I, I feel yeah. like they kind of planned on just let's do something really cool. And then um, that was kind of that was kind of it. And you
0: know yeah. what? As it goes on. You can feel that. (laughs) (laughs) I am so curious to see what you think of it. And I'm curious to watch them again in order, because as I told you last week, I've never seen the rest of them in order. I watched them all crazy (laughs) out of order and and years apart. So I have no sense of what the story
1: is actually supposed to be. So this will be great. Um, How to do an award (laughs) season to get anything. Uh, This film had one win and 10 other nominations. Over at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, Scott Speedman won the Cinescape Genre Face of the Future Award. Wow. (laughs) That is an award (laughs) title for you. That just (laughs) the Cinescape Genre Face of the Future. We should all be so lucky.
0: You know what? You have the podcast Face of the Future, Andy. (laughs) <laughs> my
1: thank you, my thank you. The uh, the other nominations for, at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, we had it nominated for Best Horror Film, but it did not win. It lost to, um, what did it lose to? It lost to 28 Days Later. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. I I can see that I can see that for sure at the um the best makeup it lost to Lord of the Rings the return of the king Kate Beckinsale was nominated for best actress but lost to Uma Thurman in Kill Bill volume 1 so you know it it did okay for itself but not uh not you know, it's up against some other things. It's, but it, it's a genre thing. Over at the Golden Schmoes Awards,
0: at least it's up against the right stuff, right? It's not like on.
1: Uh, this is not buried in the Razzies, exactly. Although, Pete, now, now that you say that, oh, no, Kate Beckinsale was nominated over at the Golden Schmoes. We've talked about the Golden Schmoes. You know, I I just hate even bringing this up, and I, I feel like I shouldn't. But best TNA of the year. <sighs> Kate Beckinsale was nominated, Lost to Cure Nightly in Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl. <sighs> um, so yeah, you know, and then it had a few other a few other nominations, but those are kind of the um, the big ones. Yeah, I don't know if I call the Golden schmoes the big ones. Nope. All right. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, now we have to talk about the box office. Well, Len Wiseman kicked off this vampire werewolf franchise with a budget of $22 million, which is $30.5 million in today's dollars. The movie opened September nineteenth, two 2003, opposite Secondhand Lions, The Fighting Temptations, Cold Creek Manor, anything else, and the limited opening of Bubba Hotep. There's uh, getting some mummy into the mix that weekend. This one handily took the number one spot, bumping out Robert Rodriguez's Once Upon a Time in Mexico. The film went on to earn $51.9 million domestically and $43.7 million internationally for a grand total of $133 million in today's dollars and adjusted profit per finished minute of $847,000. That was a sure fine si- surefire sign of success and all the studio needed to say, let's make a sequel. That was great. You did that like in character. You're a real studio head.
0: Well done. Uh, I yep. Well, I'm glad we started this thing. I'm glad we are in it. We are invested in the world of Underworld, and uh, we're very excited about it. And uh, that means that now we've done the anchor show, and we just have to see what comes out when we start peeling the onion. Just start peeling the onion. For now, we should probably take it to the mat. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show. Uh, if you swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flickchart, it will take you directly to this movie in the flickchart catalog where you can add it to your own list and see how it stacks up against ours.
1: This is one of those where sometimes I'm going to have a hard time defining the line of, you know, I'm probably going to watch this more, but the other film is definitely a better one. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I struggle with that. Too.
1: I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see how it how it uh, lands. Uh, maybe it will land like Celine <laughs> does in the first few minutes of this film, like elegantly and in rubber. Underworld or <laughs> <laughs> Underworld or Il Postino, the Postman.
0: Oh, Andy, <laughs> I you know I know. Uh...
1: I mean, I find Il Postino, The Postman, to be a very magical film. Yeah. It's a very sweet, simple, light film, but I, I just feel like the world building in Underworld is is really spectacular. And you know, I, I'd probably watch it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to go with uh, Underworld.
1: Underworld, or do the right thing. <laughs> Seriously, it's do the right thing. <laughs> You know how last week I said crawl over do the right thing because, you yeah. know, sometimes people are crazy and they do things like that. Well, I'm going to say do the right thing oh, this week. <laughs> God, what a relief. relief. Underworld or <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. Underworld or Hero. Some Zhang Yimou. I'll say Hero. Uh, I will also say Hero. But wow, what a pairing of two films that are just. Beautiful to look at. I agree with that. In different ways. Underworld or being John Malkovich? Uh, (laughs) Being John Malkovich for me. John Malkovich, yeah. Underworld or Lethal Weapon?
0: Lethal Weapon. But then I go watch the Fat Man trailer again and I get so mad. (laughs) Makes me want to pick Underworld. Just don't go
1: watch the Fat Man trailer again. But then how will I send my message?
0: How will I send a
1: message (laughs) that I'm mad? (laughs) Uh, lethal weapon takes that one underworld or the natural the natural the natural underworld or high noon high noon high noon underworld or creep show creep show creep show well that puts underworld in spot 239 on our chart 239 out of 478 films wow it kind of landed smack dab in the middle at a 50 percent. Fascinating. How'd it do on yours? It did better than that. It landed on my chart in spot one thousand thirty-six out of forty-five hundred six, oh, which is a seventy-seven. Did a lot better on yours. Uh,
0: yeah. Mine ended up at six fifty-two out of fourteen seventy-four, and that puts it at a fifty-six percent. Wow. Yeah. So I'm. I'm. I agree more with us than I do with you. Uh, it turns out <laughs> it was just so. hard. I. I. It ran up against a lot of movies that. Uh, that I just really struggled to. To compare it against, and, and I think it was just it's the the silliness. Of sometimes the flick charts pairings that I end up you know, ranking it against movies that it just won't beat. So it can't climb too high into that top half. If I go by the algorithm over at letterbox.com slash The Next Reel, this should be a three star film. Um, I, You know, it's three stars. It's three stars that can be swayed very, very easily. I, I could go up from there.
1: I mean, I'm I'm starting a little higher than that. I'm a three and a half and a heart. I just I do find it to be just a a fun time. It's a fun world to be in. I don't know if it's a great film, but because I mean, it's, it's very soap operatic and to that end, it's like I buy into all of that and I just jump in and I revel in all of the kind of the, the reveals and the silliness of the whole thing. And I just have a great time. So starting it off at three and a half. Well, so me. here's a
0: quick, you're going to, are you going to leave it at three and a half and a heart? Yeah. Because I don't want to, I don't want to bring them, be the one to bring the average down. So, I'm going to push mine to three and a half. Not on this movie. I don't want to be that guy. I'm not that guy. So I'm going to, I'm going to go for a three and a half and a heart with you because you said so.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's where we sit. Three and a half stars and a heart. All right. Over at letterbox.com.
0: That sounds great. I'm real happy about that. And now that we've done Underworld, we've gotten that one on the list. Uh, do, you, do you want to talk just a little bit about where we go from here?
1: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, we're going to Underworld Evolution, which is three years later. They they keep this almost every three years. Uh, so, uh, Evolution in 2006, and then Rise of the Lichens in 2009, Awakening in 2012, and then there's a four-year um, gap for that fifth film, which is Underworld Blood Wars. So, But next time, it'll be Underworld Evolution.
0: I am really excited just to see how the how in quick succession the effects of the movie in the the series improve over time i i think this is this is an area where it could either really get really great or not depending on you know what they how much money they throw at it and i think it has there's a lot of promise at this point in the series there's a lot of promise
1: well and i'm curious um, because my recollection of that one again i haven't seen it probably since 2009 or, or 2006 is that i mean it pretty much kicks off right after the second one ends. Like, that's my yeah, that's recollection my of, of it. That is that is that it really kind of is an immediate um, sequel. Yeah. So I'm curious to find that out and kind of jump into that. And I'm curious where they go, like, in the future. You know, is there more time between them? So I don't know. I don't know. But that's what we're doing next time. So when the movie ends... Our conversation begins. <laughs> Amazon giveth, Andrew, as Amazon always no, do. Oh, they
0: do. I didn't go to Amazon, though. I didn't. I skipped it. Oh. I wanted to see what the kids would say. i got to see with these horror movies. It's so great to see what the kids say, especially when you compare it to what the parents say and what Common Sense Media says. Right? So I went to see what the kids say. And Common Sense says that this is a three-star movie based on their expert reviews and that it is good for ages 17 and up. Would
1: you agree that this is seventeen and up? What was the rating of it? Now that you say that, I'm like, was it R? I honestly don't. It was R. Is it terrible to say that I am just kind of like not a good judge of that at yeah. this point? Because I'm like, did you watch it? With I your watched kids? so many movies. I didn't. Okay. No, I guess I remembered that in in the context of when you're when you pair lichens and vampires and there's fighting. And I just remember Celine's always shooting things. So I just was like, you know, inevitably there's going to be a lot of blood and violence. So I'll, I'll probably skip it with the
0: kids. Well, and we didn't talk about the the end. And I think this is why the movie it, it dropped some stars for me. The big final battle between the the lichens and the vampires, it's all with guns, right? That, And I know it's all, but it became well, so pedestrian, like just yeah. watching red shirts come in and get ambushed and then get ambushed upon others it was just it was just not a very creative thing it was just shooting and falling down so there's there's a long well, stretch where that's nonsense
1: and one guy with a whip and the guy with a whip all i could say when that happened i'm like a whip why did you pull out a your werewolf? whip you really idiot that's what you're going to use yeah. <laughs> terrible so well, I, we, maybe he was a lion tamer at one point <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is a set. That is a unique set of of skills <laughs> that crosses the the werewolf lion barrier. That's great, right. Andy. That is a directly transferable <laughs> set of skills. All right. I So I went with the kids. The kids say their aggregate get reviews. They're are 25 reviews from the kids and the kids say this should be rated for 14 and up. The parents, interestingly, happen to agree, although the parents like the movie less than the kids do. Parents give it an average of three stars, the kids average of four stars. But they all agree that 14 years old is fine to watch this movie. Um, And the reviews of the kids actually would they they actually support that titles like dude seriously man up a bit. Four stars. This movie is great. You're overreacting. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we do have we do have a a 13 year old who says uh, this movie is one of my favorites but it has its problems the gore in action was point Perfect. And comparing it to movies like Kill Bill and Blade, it really isn't that bad. Most of the shooting scenes weren't headshots, and there was only one act of cold blood in the whole movie. During the opening scene, Celine repeatedly shoots a man to death. However, the shot pans onto Celine's face, not the guy. Unless you're the kind of kid who cries once a bullet's shot, (laughs) then this film should be handled really quite easily by most my age. Although some of the acting was poor and the one liners were pretty clunky. The swearing scenes were usually satisfying. About 30 minutes into the film, Michael shouts, what the F is going on after a man was shot five times and pulls all the bullets out in a matter of seconds? The music was usually really effective, and the transformations didn't look scary at all. One really awesome transformation scene did occur, and that may scare some, but the overpowering music will compensate for that. All right, there were some science horror and post-torture scenes, but the magic of fast-forward exists. No sex, not like the sequel. I mean, the swearing was so minor compared to 2016's Vacation would result in a two-second beatdown. The film is 15 years old, and it really has dated. If you've seen Blade at 11, then Underworld is a must-see. Wow, I know. Again, Andy, 13 years old, I eat my hat. Anyway, I, I think the kids speak for themselves. They all think that Common Sense Media is overselling the gore. And they've heard enough in high school, so or in middle Damn school. Damn you, common sense! Yeah. So
1: apparently, what so. You, what? How
0: did Amazon fare?
1: Well, I have a one star from Sky who says it seems like the English are even better at making worse movies than Hollywood, especially this period. Where's Jackman? Seems like a three hour hair gel commercial with a car commercial thrown in for good luck. Nothing going on here.
0: <laughs> Where's Jackman? <laughs>
1: What? <laughs> no. That's Hugh, right? You were talking about Hugh Jackman. I I suppose, and it's it's odd that they uh, they say that you know I, I I don't know I'm just so curious about this because it seems like the English are even better at making worse movies than Hollywood. It's like are is they... that just because of Kate because Len Wiseman and his his co writers are all Americans right. so. Uh, I don't know. I, I assume that they're just saying that because because of her. Oh, you know, Speedman's a Brit too. Do you know that? He's. I thought he's Canadian. Well, he was born in England to Scottish parents. Oh, okay, interesting. I uh, did. He move to Canada. Mm-hmm. Why do I? Yeah, he grew up in Canada. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, see. Yeah, but I'll bet. Yeah, I always put him in my head as Gene. a Canadian.
0: Born September 1, 1970. We didn't talk about birthdays. Speedman seventy five, September first, seventy five. Born in London, UK. Uh, yeah. Now, Kate did you I want to talk about was Kate? Born a,
1: a day after me, <laughs> a day.
0: <laughs> and look what Could you've achieved. The same I'm just saying.
1: I'm just saying. <laughs> wow! Wow! Thanks, Thanks Amazon. <laughs>